Welcome to the How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. My name is Christine. I'm a mental health nurse practitioner who got coronavirus in April of 2020 and had long COVID symptoms for months. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting better until I healed myself through unwinding my childhood conditioning. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life and how I healed myself along with others sharing their own personal stories and how they are navigating through their own healing. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 27, The Bully. When your first memory as a child is one of violence, one of intimidation, one of your father being a bully, you carry this and walk with it as part of your story, as part of what made you who you are today. Some people who grow up in violence and a bully parent take this trauma only to repeat it. Some people who grow up in violence and a bully parent take this trauma only to unconsciously find a romantic partner or friend who repeats the abuse to them, also known as trauma bonding. Some people like me who grew up with a bully father, a narcissistic mother, a narcissistic grandmother, take this trauma only to unconsciously have little self-worth, codependency, self-medicating behaviors such as abusing drugs and alcohol, multiple sex partners, chronic emptiness, panic attacks, anxiety, confusion, and difficulty being able to trust and believe in yourself. But that's not where my story ended. My story got old. My story was ready for a new one where I am the hero, where I am the hero of my own story. I'm the one who saves myself. I am the one who overcomes adversity. I am the one who no longer puts up with these behaviors from others and myself. I am the one who breaks the cycle and starts a new one. After I started this podcast, I decided to start a blog as well. Having a blog showed me how much I loved writing. Verbally telling my story on a public platform is my soul's calling. However, It can be intimidating to speak in a way where my truth is 100% authentic. I still have that small piece of the little girl inside of me who's scared to get in trouble by her bully mother for speaking her truth. So writing for me is much easier and a creative outlet. While navigating the blog life, I ran across a blog about bullies. Fast forward an hour later, I was taught so much about bullies and narcissists, such as tactics they use like gaslighting how they use your friends and families as weapons against you, and most importantly, tips on how to stand up to a bully. Today, my guest is the author of that blog, Chateau Cherie. Cherie White is a popular blogger whose mission is to expose bullies and liberate their targets to make the world a safer place. She is the author of the book From Victim to Victor. It's her memoir about her true story of her experiences with school bullying, how she overcame it, won back her confidence, and found peace and happiness. Hi, Cherie. Thank you so much for coming on my show today to talk about bullies. I really appreciate you taking the time to help the listeners understand bullies a little more and how they can take their power back. Thank you, Christine. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Um, We met each other um, by the way, before the blog world, I really didn't know much about blogs. And I think I've been looking at blogs. I didn't even realize I was looking at blogs, you know, in the past. But I was on, you know, just checking out other blogs when I ran across your blog. And you had a, um, 
a blog about kind of like your grandmother's best advice. And it was so interesting because it sort of hit me because I never really got, I guess you could say great advice from my grandmother. It was always, you know, like insults and things like that. And I remember posting a comment, you know, about my grandmother making a comment, you know, about me, you know, 16 years old and how my jeans were too tight because I was gaining all this weight and the comments that she said to me. And you said that must have been very humiliating. And I, it blew my mind because that was the word I've been searching for my whole life to describe her and the way she treated me. It's like humiliation. And so it just, thank you so much for pointing that out to me um, because that is really what bully it bullying is, is part of that is humiliation. So before we get into all of the bully stuff, can you give the listeners um, a bit of a background about yourself, where you're from, about your childhood, um, your, you know, your profession, what you do and why you are passionate about exposing bullies. Well, I am a uh, wife, mother, grandmother, author, and blogger. And I'm also an advocate for bullied children, teens, and adults. Um, I'm from Covington, Tennessee. And uh, my hobbies are spending time with family and friends, reading personal development, uh, music, swimming, inner tubing, camping, hiking, and skydiving. I love all that. I just that just sounds so relaxing and scary at the same time, the skydiving. <laughs> um, so, so you, and I love about your blog because it's you, you put in your personal story. It's all intertwined with all of these things. It's so tell the listeners a bit about your, your childhood, what, how you were bullied in school and how that started. What, how did you get out of it? That whole experience, how did that all happen? Well, um, I had moved, I had been grown up an army brat and, uh, I started, uh, school in, uh, 1983 in the sixth grade at, uh, a, in a small town in Tennessee. And, uh, basically the bullying started right away. I, uh, I was different. I, I didn't think like these, these kids. Because, you know, I didn't, I hadn't grown up my whole life in this small town, and I'll, I'll call it Oakley. It's not the real name of the town, but um, it's, uh, I basically do it for legal purposes. Mm-hmm. And so they targeted you immediately because they viewed you as different. Absolutely. And did they, was it, was it? like immediate verbal, physical, how did, or was it like a slow progression? Like how did that, how did that look? Well, it it was a progression. It was, it started out as uh, subtle bullying, basically um, jokes, you know, uh, oh, how do I put it? Uh, It started out as digs, zingers, and then it over time it got more uh overt it mm-hmm. uh progressed into um open verbal assault uh curse uh cursing name calling just things like that and then from there it went 
Uh, it started getting physical. It started out as, you know, trips and border, what I call borderline physical bullying, which is accidentally on purpose running into you in the hallway, uh, tripping you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to trip you. And when you knew darn well that, that they Mm -hmm. meant to, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just, you can sense those things. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it went for it, it progressed to shoving. Um, then it from there, it went to hitting, kicking. Then from there, it went to beatings and and so on. So uh, I basically uh, suffered all kinds of bullying, physical, uh, relational bullying, which is uh rumor spreading smears uh you know telling lies spreading rumors to make me look bad uh all kinds wow that is i mean you telling that story my body is so tense like i just i mean i'm like have my arms crossed like protecting myself right now because that is just like i mean cuz you didn't do anything right and and right targeted for what and um I'm curious a couple of things were there anybody else being targeted in that school uh, I think there uh, there was a few people there was a few people there was uh, a, a boy named Charles from Florida and he didn't stay at that school long then there was a guy from North Carolina you know it seemed to be people that uh had not grown up in, in that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. New students from other states, other towns. But wow. uh, they, they, they were few and far between. So. Mm-hmm. And did you have any friends during that time? Well, I thought I did. There were people that I hung with. Uh, one was a girl. Uh, I'll call her Jill. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not her real name. But anyway, Jill was never a friend because it seemed that uh, every time the bullies would come calling, she would kind of fade into the background. Mm-hmm. And she never had my back. So, you know, the friends I did hang with that uh, pretty much tolerated me, they never had my back. So, I can't say they were really friends. Right. And they were probably scared themselves that they were going to be targeted too. Right. But the thing is, if, if, if you're a real friend, mm-hmm. you're not going to be scared to take up for your friend. Right. You know, if, right. if you're not a real friend, th- then you're, then you're going to be weak and you're going to, you're going to crumble. Right. Right. And you'll be a target anyways, if you're, if you're being showing weakness or, you know what I mean? With the bullies anyways. Absolutely. Um, How long did you, how long did you, how long were you in school there for? Six years. So it it was a, it was a long six years. (laughs) Very long. Wow. Um, your blog, um, one of your uh, topics where you it was like an excerpt from your your book from victim to victor you know your memoir your, your survivor story where you talk about um the fight the fight or flight response um and how you were constantly in that and then how it physically affected you where 
you were like felt you couldn't swallow your your couldn't control it was hard to control your gag reflexes and then you asked the teacher you know can you go to the bathroom and she was very rude about that and then you went in there and you just started dry heaving and you know it was just very unbearable and um then the teacher came in and there came in there and was just um horrible to you uh thinking that you were faking this and what what that's part of the story that um, I mean that was awful I mean I could just feel like I was almost the way you describe it I, I felt like I was in the bathroom stall with you throwing up with you you know and and that treatment of the teacher what how she treated you um but wh- I will say what was powerful about this part of your story was that how how bullies how it's like this subtle thing where the teachers and people of authority get involved of it into they get wrapped up in it too and then you're like even more of a target and there's no one that is safe for you i that is just that's so powerful that's part of bullying that you really don't ever hear you just hear about the bullies targeting the kid but you don't ever really hear about the teachers and the people that work in the school and how they're wrapped up in it it's it's like this cult almost you know what i mean like people are exactly or like in this trance exactly it's it that's exactly what it is it's like the bullies have this cult behind them and teachers Mm -hmm. can be involved in that too Mm -hmm. and i had in the grand not all of my teachers were were bullies uh, I had mm-hmm. a few teachers who stood up for me, but I also had uh, most of the teachers just kind of uh, bowed out of it and let it happen. But there were like three teachers that uh, that were that joined the bullies in their humiliation. But there were also teachers that uh, took up for me. And I, I think they took a lot of heat for taking up for me. That is just so insane. So, I mean, you, you just had these three teachers that were, were your only really safety. Was there anybody else that you, that was in a position of authority that you felt like you could go to and talk to about all this stuff? Uh, Not very many. Uh, In junior high, I was completely alone. Hmm. And I was labeled as trouble or difficult or the problem child because, I mean, I was the one being bullied. So everybody tend to have have a beef with me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get a whole lot of help in junior high. Yeah. And, you know, any time that teachers join the bullies and they label the bullied child or teenager as the problem child or the difficult child or the troublemaker. It sets the targeted child up to be discriminated against by their school. And it creates a very hostile and dangerous environment when adults are prejudiced against this poor kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just, and in it's these like times, this, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it like, it's like this cult mentality. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was at this school uh, in this town, really. It was a cult, it was cult-like mentality. It was the worst of group behavior. And there was a lot of group thing. If you didn't follow 
the if you didn't toe the line and and if you weren't in lockstep with the rest of the group then you then you were endangered of being targeted too so it, it was basically the whole it, it was how the system was set up mm-hmm. and so, there was a lot of corruption at the schools i know mm-hmm. that for a fact mm-hmm. um so did your uh were you were you raised by your mom and dad or who did who was raising you uh during that time my mom and dad raised me until uh my mom and dad divorced and then it was just my mom so did your mom did your mom know about all this stuff going on with you uh she didn't at first but you know i told her and you know mm-hmm. not that she didn't try to to go to bat for me but there was i had so many people coming forward and and out and out lying to her and telling her Mm. that I was the problem that eventually she believed them wow and understand that back in the 80s this is when I was going to school back in the 80s and the first part of 1990 you know bullying wasn't a it wasn't a newsworthy issue back then Mm-hmm. And it 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 wasn't brought to the forefront of people's attention like it is today. Back then, people people as- associated with bullying with being a, a normal rite of passage that all kids went through. It was a normal part of growing up. Blah blah blah. And even back then, I knew that was a cop out. People just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And they, it's, they probably didn't know how to either. Right. Exactly. Uh, and my, my parents included, they didn't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So finally they got frustrated when, you know, their efforts weren't helping. They got frustrated. And at the end of the day, they blamed me for it. Well, you must be doing something to <sighs> rub these kids the wrong way. And I was like, I'm telling you, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Cherie, so, like, hearing all this, I mean, anxiety, uh, th- these are all the, these are all the things that are coming through my mind is like anxiety, depression. I mean, what's the point? Like, how did you, I mean, did you ever have like suicidal thoughts during that time? How did you not, what kept you going? Like, what was the thing that kept you going? Uh, looking to the future. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was always what if, you know, what if things change tomorrow? Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing I want to point out, I did, I did attempt suicide when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I took an overdose of pain pills and I ended up in intensive care. I almost didn't make it. Wow. So there was a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And, and I, at that point, I'd completely given up. I just, I, I just, uh, I just knew that nothing was going to change. Mm-hmm. And it's not th- that I really wanted to die per se, but I just wanted everything to stop. I wanted the abuse to stop. I wanted the pain to stop. And I felt like dying was the only way I could make it stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that you sharing that because 
I had similar around age 14, you know, because my mother was a narcissist and, um, you know, all of her bully techniques like gaslighting and, you know, right. just, uh, the mind games and the confusion and, and, mm-hmm. and, and knowing in my guts that all these things that she's doing is wrong, but she's trying to deny my reality. And you're, it's almost like your soul rejects it because it's like, no, this is really true, but you're a kid. This person is giving me shelter and food. So I dare not argue with them because I, we're, what, I'm not going to get food or shelter, you know? Exactly. So, so the same thing with me is I remember at 14, uh, it's like a magical age almost, I swear. But um, that I took some pills too. Now I didn't end up in the ICU. I don't. Even, I think I was. You know, frankly, I think I took a bunch of antibiotics. <laughs> but it was just a bag of pills. But you know. But after that, I I remember. You know. I mean, I was throwing up and things like that. And I called my aunt, and I was like, I'm just. I don't want to live. And so I'm happy that my aunt. You know, she got involved, and I ended up living with her after that, and really getting starting some of my healing. You know. Um, but so did the bullying stop when you got out of the ICU and stuff? No. Wow. Wow. That is just, um, and so then what were you, how did you keep going after that? Were you like, well, I survived. And so there's a reason I survived. Like what, do you remember what went on in your mind? I, back then it, I, my mind was not my own at that Mm -hmm. time, if, if, uh, that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, I tried to fit in, which, which is something I never should have done, but I tried to fit in and that only got me bullied worse. So my mind wasn't really my own. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you know, my attitude was that the world was a horrible place that people were just people in general just got their jollies off of mistreating another person and that was my attitude back then Mm -hmm. it it basically shattered my faith in humanity for a while I just didn't believe in humanity I believed that this world was a dog-eat-dog world Mm -hmm. and that I had better do some chowing down before you know I'd better do some chowing down of my own and that's why uh, for a few years, I became a bully. And oh, I, became, wow. yeah, I thought, well, if I'm being bullied, then I'm going to bully somebody even weaker than me to try and grab back some of the power that was taken from me. Mm-hmm. And that was the wrong thing to do, too. But I was a kid and I didn't know any better. Now that I know better, you know, I, I, I champion for other bullied kids and other bullied adults. I'm there for them. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I have chills right now because I mean, to me, nothing is wrong or right. To me, you were supposed to go through that experience of becoming a bully so you could find those tactics and know what they do and how like you're like the like an inside job almost you know what I mean like yeah really to even though it probably I can imagine did not feel very good but like what is your other alternative like you've done all these things and they aren't working and so you know can't can't beat them join them you know 
Right. So, um, you know, you really doing that, that, that is actually probably the most important part that was important for you to do because you were able to get an inside perspective of how these bullies work and, and see more into their fragile egos, you know? Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad that you were a bully for a couple of years because you were able to see it from a different lens and really right. see how, how screwed up all these people are and why they're probably screwed up, you know? Yeah. Um, so how, how old were you when things really started getting better? Was it like after graduation or how did that work? Uh, I changed schools uh, during my senior year. Mm-hmm. I left that, that toxic school and moved on to a better school. Uh, I moved from uh, Oakley School to uh, Roseburg High School, which was in a town in another county. And uh, things got much better for me. I was accepted by my Roseburg classmates. I was uh, welcomed with open arms, really. Wow. I I had gotten married. I got married in high school. Uh, The thing that made me, finally made me leave this toxic toxic school was that I was physically attacked and I had just gotten married. I was pregnant with my first child, visibly pregnant because I was about four months and two girls attacked me. I mean, it was a brutal attack. They threw me over the teacher's desk. They kicked me while I was on the floor and I was pregnant and all I could do was just ball up into a fetal position and, cover my stomach to keep keep it from being kicked and after that that's when my husband came and to the school and told me just to leave my books he was going to take me to Roseburg and enroll me there and uh, we did and that's when things got so much better I was accepted by my new classmate and I actually, my, another thing that, that I want to point out is that my grades skyrocketed. You know, uh, when I first moved to Oakley School, the school I was being bullied in, I had been making the honor roll. But after you know, a few months of being bullied, my grades went down to C's, D's, and even F's. It has an impact on your grades. Mm-hmm. And I stayed at C's, D's, and sometimes F's until I left. And once I left that toxic learning environment and moved on to a new school where I could start out fresh with a clean slate, my grades skyrocketed. I started making all A's. I, I made the honor roll again. And it was awesome. I, ac- I actually looked forward to going to school every day. That was something that that had not happened since since before I'd moved to Oakley. When I moved moving to Roseburg High School was the best thing that I ever did. That is just I'm so glad that you had that experience towards the end of your schooling because you were able to see like humans aren't bad. They're actually good people. And absolutely. That, that was just wrong. You know, that all of that was just like you know, abusive and things like that. And it wasn't you. And it's kind of like your first evidence, you know, like it wasn't me, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, you know, cause it's, it's hard to know when you're being bullied, like, 
what am I doing wrong? Like, I'm not, you know, you're not, but then there comes a point, like maybe it is my fault, you know? Right. So, um, that is just powerful. Have you been back to that town since? Have you ever talked to any of those people? Um, talking about the bullies. Uh huh. I've run into them a time or two, but, uh, it, you know, that they haven't changed. So I, I don't have anything to do with them. It's just, you know, it, sometimes it's better just to sever ties because mm-hmm. some people doesn't belong. Some people just don't belong in your life that right. they're just not, they're not for you. And mm-hmm. my, my attitude is that, that they are not the people they don't belong in my life. So the best thing to do is just not to, not to associate with any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. why I won't go to any reunions. I've been to one reunion, which was, uh, the 20 year reunion. And, uh, although most of the bullies weren't there, I still got a few dirty looks. I picked up some really crappy vibes from some of the people there. I mean, I had a good time there. But some of the people there just gave me some really evil vibes. I won't go back to any reunions, especially now that I've published uh, From Victim to Victor, because I got a lot of threatening messages when a few classmates read the book. <laughs> I've got a lot of threatening messages. Really? Yeah. A lot what? of uh, attacks, a lot of personal attacks, a lot of threatening messages. It was gaslighting all over again. So even though these people are in their uh, are starting into their fifties, most of them haven't changed. A few of them have. I've gotten a, an apology from maybe two or three people, mm-hmm. but the rest of them, they're just as messed up as they were back then. And it's just better not to have anything to do with them. Yeah, yeah, and they probably like my thought is is that you know if they're in that bully cult mentality and here comes someone who has a good heart that's you know um seen as a threat because they don't know that they don't they don't know what a good person is someone with a good heart you know and then not on top on top of all of that you took your power back and now you're helping others and oh my god that's even more of a threat to them right absolutely absolutely i think that's that's more the reason why I got so many death, so many uh, threatening messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even got a few, a uh, couple of death threats. So, you know, I I think it's it's more than just me publishing the book. It was it's the fact that they're mad that I took my power back, and I'm doing something good with it. And I think it's a a blow to their egos. Hmm. And I'm assuming that the, that it's generational, like your parents are the same and it's just passed down and passed down. Well, no, my parents weren't bullies. I mean, I actually had a pretty good home life. Yeah. I mean, like with the, the bullies in the town, like it sounds like that in that town, it's generational and they're the bullies parents, you know. Absolutely. It is. It is. I, I, I can, I can tell you that for a fact. Um, most of my bullies, parents were in fact bullies a lot of them had uh big connections in the town uh a lot of my classmates were being abused at home a lot of them were sexually abused a lot Mm -hmm. of them had a lot of them 
had uh, parents who were drug dealers, who were, uh, a lot of them had mothers who were prostitutes and had a different guy over every night. And Mm -hmm. so they didn't have such good home lives themselves. Uh, One of my bullies, mother was was killed tragically uh she basically got run over by a horse trampled by a horse and uh caught up in uh some uh plowing discs and uh anyway there was rumors flying around the town that uh this bully's father killed her mother basically set up uh, set uh, staged an a, a so-called accident to kill her mother and uh, and I don't know if that's true I don't think it is but you know she had to have been going through a lot just hearing different people in the town talk mm-hmm. and so she found somebody me who was easy to bully And so she projected all of her mental issues onto me and a few others. Wow. That's just, that's so intense. And you know, the, the sad part about all of that is they don't realize if you're, if you're, that's all generational, they don't, they don't realize they actually have choices that they can, they have power, you know, it's, it's, they don't, if you're, if you have no example of overcoming adversity, no example of what love is, no example of what, how to treat others, you know, in a, in an appropriate, you know, kind way, you know, it's, it's hard to know that you can make a different choice on how you treat people, you know, if you're all wrapped up in that. And by the way, like, it's never too late, even if they're in their fifties now, you know, they have a choice. They don't have to, because I, I can't imagine that feels very good to, there seems like there would be a lot of shame and all that and, and right. people that way, um, you know, and so it's, it's hard to know, you know, if you've never had that example, you know, uh, I mean, like with myself, you know, I, what the way I was raised, you know, by people like my mother and my father, um, it, it was. I knew like this was wrong, but it was hard to explain, you know, because you're young, your brain's not fully developed till you're 25, you know, you don't know how to articulate it. You don't know how to communicate that effectively because number one, anytime you're abused, you're automatically in stuck in fight, flight or uh, fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And anytime you're stuck in fight or flight mode, your logical brain shuts down. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you're not able to think straight in right. order to communicate what is happening to you. So a lot of times and when, when you're in the middle of that situation and you try to talk about it, you, you sometimes come off as you're rambling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, definitely. For sure. I love that you point that out because sometimes I, I do start rambling about stuff and I'm like, wait, I'm not making sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. That's, that's because I'm anxious and I want, you know, and we do like this over explaining thing. We want to give everyone all the details and that's just from trauma, you know, to get your, to get your voice heard. Um, what I think is also interesting how on your blog, how you talk about female bullies and they're, they're sort of a special breed because like my mother 
hers was so subtle it was hard to explain why she was such a horrible person a horrible mother because especially with a female just the females in general like how we're conditioned by society that females are just born this nurturer type of person and it's not even true it's not even true it's just a false lie that we're all conditioned to believe and like I didn't even want to have a child uh, I didn't even want to have children because I was so scared that I was going to be like my mother, who was definitely missing that mother gene, it was all like, right. like this false pretense of, look, oh, I'm doing all these things to be a mother, but behind closed doors, you know, this subtle brainwashing, gaslighting, you know, sabotaging me. I didn't even know I was in competition with her till a couple of years ago. And, um, and the whole, like, um, how you talk about female bullies, how they're the ones like, you know, that will try to get your friends against you, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, she's def- she's definitely done that to me like multiple times. Delete me off Facebook, but then message all my friends and try to get dirt on me or just be cool with them, whatever. You know, it's just so odd. I mean, I've had so many friends go, "Why is your mother messaging me?" You know what I mean? It's uh, it's so strange and it's embarrassing. Right. Too, you know, absolutely. But, um, I want to go over um, how some some ways that bullies um, can target you, like their tactics. Um, one of your blog pages, it's the title of it is Persistence of Bullies. They will not be deterred. And it talks about how they need to have power over another and and, you know, why that is. Um, they, their only merit, the only way they can get it is by ruining someone else's life. Um, but these are like some of the, the tips, um, some of the things that they will do um, as their tactics. And the one first one is they will gaslight you. I, I mean, that is just so true. Um, yes. So do you have like an example of what gaslighting is? Uh, actually, I do. Um, gaslighting is uh, OK. Say you are. You are in a a bully starts targeting you. Uh, Gaslighting is basically when they start blaming you. Uh, An example of gaslighting would be, well, you asked for it. Yeah, I know like one thing with my mom and she definitely gaslighting was her thing. And gas the purpose of gaslighting is to create confusion. And so that you're so you're confused, then you think it's your fault, you know, um, right. it, it's to take like the, the focus off of them. Like my mother, for example, when I was a teenager and I've talked about this on my podcast before one of my episodes, my mother, um, purposely looking back, she purposely, when I was like 15, 16, seduced one of my teenager male friends and had sex with him at a party that I was having at her house and people walked in on her and we ended up going to counseling. And what she told me that it wasn't sex because he didn't ejaculate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like one of her top five gaslighting stories she did to me because I was like, because it created confusion. Like maybe am I, maybe I'm not supposed to be upset about this. You know what I mean? But yes, that is so inappropriate. It doesn't matter. Like sex is sex. You know what I mean? But that was one of her ways of of gaslighting me. And then like we, when we went to counseling, we just went one time. She wouldn't go back because she says that her me, myself and the therapist were ganging up on her. That was another gaslighting technique that she was using, you know? Right. Uh, examples of gaslighting. Uh, gaslighting usually happens when uh, you're being bullied and you finally stand up to bullying. Mm-hmm. And 
usually these are examples of gaslighting phrases. Uh, a lot of them will accuse you of being too, you're too sensitive. Uh, you make something out of nothing. I never said that. Um, sometimes they'll say, I don't remember saying that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll say, it's all your fault or you bring it on yourself. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. brought it on yourself. Yeah. And that's when you ask, well, how did I bring it up on your, on myself? I asked that one time, how did I bring all this on myself? And they couldn't answer that. They couldn't answer that question. Mm-hmm. So that was my first clue right there. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember mm-hmm. um, there was something, I was like around 19 and uh, I was living with my mother. She, because she was so nice to allow me to live with her while my husband at the time was in basic training for the military only to later just to kick me out and just terrorize me. But there was something that was going on. I can't quite remember what it was, but um, I remember not confronting her, but asking her a question and she got very defensive and she was like, even your brother understands like that's gaslighting. Even your, whoever understands, you know, it was like, Oh, right. You know? Triangulation. Yeah. Because yeah. When they get other yeah. people involved and said, well, uh, she agrees with me or mm-hmm. well, she saw you do it. And then, and then they lie and say, they saw them, saw you do it. That's triangulation. Yes. Uh, here's another, here's another popular gaslighting statement. It's what, it's when bullies start making, well, you made me do this or you make me do that. Mm-hmm. It's, you made me stay statements. That's also a, a very popular form of gaslighting. You made me do it. Yeah, that's just so crazy. You made me hit you or you make mm-hmm. people want to hurt you or don't make me mad. That's another gaslight. Mm, it's don't not make only me a mad. Threat. I've had several bullies in school warn me, don't make me mad. Don't make me hurt you. Uh, not only is that a threat, but that's a threat and gaslighting rolled up into one. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Don't make me mad, man. I heard that a lot. Oh yeah. Wow. That's powerful. That's just super powerful. I just, wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. And then, um, another thing that they will do, bullies will do the laid guilt trips. Um, for sure. That was my mother, especially, uh, especially female bullies who use feminine charm to deceive bystanders and authority figures. Yes. Yes. And I think it also goes back to that whole like female archetype that society, you know, that we're conditioned to believe that, you know, women are these gentle creatures and it's just definitely not true. Um, another one is they may recruit followers and start a smear campaign. I mean, yes. Um, that's my mom's done that a hundred times. Turn your friends against you. This, this is, um, so interesting because my mother, her kind of last, I guess, before I cut her out of my life for good a year ago, one of her last ditch efforts was to try to get my sister, who's not her daughter, we're half sisters, but, you know, message her and try to get information from her. And then takes this information and, uh, and who knows, who knows what, you know, was exchanged in the message, but takes this information and then finds an old group text message from like a year ago with my in-laws in it, my aunt, and just starts saying all these, this nasty things to me. And that, you know, about what my sister said and all these things. And, um, it is so true that they, it's like they, 
they do this whole high, like they, they, they give a co- cover of, Hey, how are you checking in on you? And da, da, da. And then they just start just getting information. They're just so devious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Women are real good about uh, checking up on you mm-hmm. to get information from you. You know, they feign like they're real concerned about you and, and, and they do that for you to bring your defenses down. Mm-hmm. That is so common. Yeah. It's almost like a seduction. Absolutely. And they do that to, for you to bring your defenses down mm-hmm. so that they can, they can get information from you to spread to others. That's just crazy. Um, they will. Okay. Another thing is they will project their shortcomings onto you. Um, it's taken me many years to realize the things that my mom would say to me when she was talking about herself, you know, it's taken me a really, I mean, probably just like a couple of years ago when I figured out, uh, actually a year ago when I figured out she was narcissist, she's a narcissistic mother. She's a severe disorder. Um, and, and I'm a mental health nurse practitioner who is, uh, trained and licensed and certified to diagnose and treat personality. Part of it is personality disorders. I didn't even realize that's what was going on because I, for years blamed myself that everything was my fault. And then coming actually cutting her out of my life or good is when like the, the fog and the veil started lifting and getting thinner and thinner. And I could see it now clear. I could see it clearly, you know, for this is what was going on. And I'm so grateful that I, I did that because being able to, because also society tells you, you know, that's your mother. You're supposed to have a relationship with her. You know, that's your mother. And I'm like, and I'm her daughter, you know? Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, and ever since I did make that decision to cut her out of my life, man, doors of opportunity and all kinds of beautiful things have just happened in my life the last year. Like it was the best decision I ever made because I'm finally like broken free of all of that. Um, Absolutely. Another, another thing you talk about is they'll distract others' attention away from their flaws by pointing out yours. Um, oh, and their whole once the target is isolated, the bullies move in for the kill. Now they can do with whatever they choose to do freely with impunity because if everyone is against you, the least likely they are report will report or stop the abuse. In the mind of others, you deserve what's happening to you. So their whole thing is to isolate you, just take piece by piece of people, your even your parents, you know, and to isolate you so you'll be least likely to report it. Why is that? They want say, what is it like just to have more control over you? What? Why? The, uh, actually, there are several reasons. Um, they do it to uh, to silence you. The thing mm-hmm. is, if you can dehumanize a person then you make it that much easier to bully them. It's a sad, it's sad, but it's true. It's just the way the world works. If you can dehumanize another person, if a bully can dehumanize their target, then they make it easier for everybody else to bully them too. And here's how demonization works. Um, If you're a target of bullying, any joke you tell, no matter how funny it may be, will will be considered not funny. Any self-depreciating humor will be seen as you're having no self-confidence or being mentally unstable. Any sarcasm will be taken literally. Any casual comments such as, I would love to have been able to sleep in this morning 
uh, something innocent like that mm-hmm. will be taken as you're admitting you plan to be absent from school or work today and are complaining about having to come in. And they will accuse you of either being a lazy bum or so depressed that you found it difficult to get out of bed. Uh, any positive statements or compliments will be seen as kissing up or an attempt to score points with the recipient. Um, Number six, any self-confidence and good self-esteem will be perceived as being pompous, arrogant, and full of yourself. Number seven, refusing to talk to your bullies and their minions or answer any gotcha questions, though justified, will be deemed as you're being too good to speak or having something to hide. Number eight, if you smile, they'll think you're plotting something. Nine, if you're happy, you must have done something evil. Uh, In short, when you're a target of bullying, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And that's how they dehumanize you. They take everything you do and associate it with evil. Everything you do, good or bad, will be associated with evil. You do anything good, they might accuse you of trying to uh, get on this person's or that person's good side. It's all designed to dehumanize you and make you an even bigger target because, you know, if, if people don't consider you another, a separate human being with thoughts, feelings, and beliefs, they're going to bully you and it's going to be easier for them to do so. They'll, they'll be able to bully you without feeling guilty about it. And that's what my classmates did to me. They got so comfortable with bullying me that uh, they did not consider me a human with thoughts, feelings, and desires. Wow. That's just, um, that's just powerful. I just, that's just, it's just so nuts. And I recently, I was talking to my, one of my friends from, from junior high and he was telling me um, about his him being bullied from um, grades three to six and he's half Hispanic and half white and he would just bullied for being Hispanic and he would be taunted and they would tell him, you know, you need, you can't, you can't come to the school until you have your green card. And he didn't even know what a green card was. He just said he remembered at night. He'd be like, how can I get a green card? <laughs> you know, um, it's just all these tactics they use. Um, so also, too, of what was I thought was really important to share with our listeners is the body language that bullies use because um, the whole like nonverbal communication and what they do to make themselves powerful and dating and hostile is super important um, for people to know because it's not just words; it's a whole enchilada of what, what they do. Um, in your one of your blogs, you talked about the hostile body languages that bullies use. One is they bullies take up lots of space to appear bigger. They'll right. Stand, they'll stand extra close to their targets. They'll frown and purse their lips at the target while maintaining unblinking and unwavering eye contact. Um, and they also they freely touch their targets because they have no regard for their personal space. Right. The, tar- the target is sitting. If the target is sitting, the, the bully will stand over them. And this one is just other ways they invade the target space is claiming ownership. They walk into that person, the target's room, whether it be the office or home, and they're uninvited without knocking. 
and they'll sit in the victim's chair without asking permission. I mean, they basically just, they have no boundaries until I guess you try to set them. But um, that is just like one thing, like my sister, her um, roommate is a bully and he'll just like, I mean, a few weeks ago, he just started going through her, her text messages because her iPad was at home while she was at school. And he just starts targeting me out of nowhere. I haven't even talked to the student in like several years. And he starts gaslighting me, basically. And I, at first I thought, is this my mom? You know, that's really what I thought it was. Um, but he was accusing me of all these things that weren't even true. And it was, of course, confusing. And so, but that's one thing that he does with my sister is that he you know, just invades her boundaries. You know, he's got her very brainwashed that that's okay, you know, to do. And that's because, you know, we both grew up in trauma and stuff, but, um, but picking up the target's phone and scrolling through the, the contents that was, right. um, so yeah, any other ways, physical, uh, ways that bullies communicate, uh, to the target, you know, for try to intimidate any other ones that you can think of? Uh, they may walk into a center of a hallway or sit on a flight of stairs expecting people to move or go around them. Uh, bullies may also stand in the middle of the road or driveway or take their time tra- crossing the street, forcing cars to stop and wait. Oh, my gosh. That and, is powerful. Yes. And they also show dominance by how they dress or the car they drive. They may flaunt fancy clothes or drive a pimp around in the car uh, in a fancy car. Uh, Know that that's that's intimidation tactics. Uh, Bullies may also look at their target while pinching their chin. Uh, The pinching of the jaw or chin is used to release the hostile thoughts without acting on them. It's a way to hold back the urge to physically attack the target. Uh, another sign of hostility is when the bully looks at their target, then pounds a fist into a tabletop wall or the palm of his opposite hand. Any object the bully pounds is only a substitute for the victim's physical body. Uh, girls and women will also bite their lip, suck on the inside of their jaw, or chew the inside of the mouth while looking at their target. And they also show hostility by sizing up their target. They size you up by directly facing you, clenching their fists and pumping out their chests. Man, that's nuts. <laughs> that is just nuts. Because I, what's happening is you're saying these things, and I'm just recalling all kinds of memories of, of different encounters I've had with not just my mom, but just like different people and um, school and clients that I've treated. Um, that is so, so crazy. And um, it's so important to know because all of it's like for domination and, uh, you know, to, to, to target you and intimidate you. Um, but I love what I love my favorite thing about your blog is, is that, you know, you give your, your background and your experience of what happened to you and then tips and, and ways to know that when you're being bullied, but the best part is how to take your power back. Cause that's the most important piece because people don't know what to do. They're they feel powerless, you know, and if you're being brainwashed mentally and then physically intimidated, you know, it's, it's hard to see what are you supposed to do, you know? 
But what I love, this is like one of my favorite uh, part of your blog where you talk about the, the title of it is called Mirror the Bully to Disarm and Intimidate Them into Leaving You Alone. You mirror what they do to you. Can you speak about that? Yes. Like, uh, for instance, if you if you have a bully and the, a lot of times the bully will give you dirty looks and just glare at you without even blinking. Sometimes they do it from across the room. And how you could, that is clearly an intimidation tactic. So what you do is you glare at them right back without blinking. You do, you mirror their behavior and you stare them down. And in most cases, when you do that, the bully, they'll back down. They'll take their eyes off of you. You always return the gesture. Yeah, uh, where I work at, I've, I have students, you know, because I work with, you know, psychiatric patients and and sometimes they, you know, can have like a mixture of, you know, some sort of mental health thing. And then, you know, just the way they grew up and try to use intimidation, especially if they see like a student <laughs> who is new to to they're doing their clinicals and, you know, they can tell when people are scared and meek and all these kinds of things. And so one thing, um, I, what I love about this part of your blog, where you talk about the power stance, and I'll teach that to my students when they feel really scared to go speak to these, these people that are staring them down and are like using those kind of tactics, you know, whether purposeful or not purposeful, but man, when you teach somebody how to just to stand in your power, you, that changes their, their whole perspective, their whole aura, because they're taking their power back and able to, to get control back. I mean, that's the thing you feel like you don't have any control, you know? So I love that you, where you talked about like standing with your feet apart, having an open body, having your hands, you know, on your hips and not with your arms crossed. Right. Absolutely. What you do is, you know, bullies give you dirty looks or threatening looks. You always mirror that and you can do it by standing, you know, feet shoulder width apart and arms akimbo. Always use a power pose. Yeah, that is. Um, that because is, most bullies are cowards and um, you do that and they'll think twice about messing with you. Yeah. Okay. And so what are some other, what are some other physical ways that someone can mirror a bully's uh, physical communication? What are some other ways? Uh, basically, uh, that's it. Just, uh, you know, reciprocate any dirty looks and, do and dominant body language. Mm hmm. I love it. I love that because um, you just mirror what they, they do back to you. So you were saying that it's very important to, you know, mimic them. They're, they're, they're cowards, um, mimic their behavior. And sometimes you do have to, you don't condone violence. Sometimes you do have to fight back um, and whatever you may have a chair or whatever. I know that um, my friend that I was just telling you about that was he, when he was bullied from, you know, grades three to six and about, you know, needing a green card and when he was born in America, but he was telling me too, that his son recently had been bullied and his son ended up punching the bully in the stomach and the bully left him alone after that. Exactly. And, and you know, basically you have to uh, strike back with more force than the bully is using on you. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, um, so do you, from your, let me ask you this, do you, 
it seems like you have taken your power back in so many powerful ways. I mean, all of the experiences that you went through, you know, as a child from sixth grade and on and all of these things, like, are you able to look back on all that experience and know like this is your purpose in life is to help others? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think it's my calling. I think it's what I was meant to do. And it's something I enjoy. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. I know like your, your blog, you're very interactive on your blog. People make, you know, comments and all that kind of stuff. And you're just so good at the things that you say, you're like, you're direct and you're direct, transparent, and, you know, and then also with kindness and love, you know, what I love about it, because, because it's like, I am a loving person, but also I'm direct because, you know, it's kind of like the way you have to use with bullies. Like you have to be direct. There's no messing around like this this is what I'm not gonna take this from you you know what I mean there's very there your your voices has a lot of power you know behind it also with love which is just so beautiful I just love that it's just just it's just great so so you've um this is your mission I love and I love that your your tagline you know from your blog is from Chateau Cherie is exposing bullies and liberating targets to make the world a safer place for all. That is so beautiful because you, you want to help people get their power back and not go through the same experiences that you went through and like, you know, give them tools on things on how to, to deal with these people. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the reason why I choose to tackle it from this angle is because too many people are concerned with uh, making bullies accountable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time that's not a lot. Most in most cases, that's not reality. Most people are, they're not going to hold bullies accountable. Bullies, they're so slippery that they, in, in most cases, they get away with, with uh, their bullying until they're exposed. So it's up to the target to find ways to take care of themselves. And that's where I come in. We, we wanted more, uh, more so we want to teach targets how to defend themselves properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to set boundaries too, because it's like, it's like these bullies don't have boundaries and they need boundaries. And how ironic is it? It needs to come from the target. I just find that so the duality, the duality in, in that is just so interesting um, because it really, they don't, their parents aren't going to set boundaries for them, you know, because their parents are the same probably. Right. So it's so interesting that the person being targeted is the one that's supposed to help teach the lesson. How ironic and sort of beautiful at the same time that is, you know? Thank you. Um, so let's talk about, before we end the interview, um, let's talk about the, um, your book. So from victim to victor. Uh, that's your your memoir about your experiences of childhood being bullied and and how you overcame those things and to find peace and happiness, which is beautiful. Can you tell the listeners a little about a bit, little bit about your other three books? Yes, um, my other three books are uh, uh, Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds: uh, One Woman's Struggle Against the un- Underbelly of Small Town Politics. This is about uh, a grown woman who had been bullied in school. Uh, she went away to uh, Arizona to start a, to have a new life. And while she's gone, she's become a best-selling author 
She's made a good life for herself. Uh, she's gotten married and had four kids and she's now widowed. Well, her grandmother who lives back in the town where she was bullied at dies and leaves her estate to her. So she has to go back and, uh, basically handle her grandmother's estate. And when she goes back to this town that she was bullied so badly in, uh, she finds out that the bullies that bullied her in school have now gotten positions of power in the town. One of them's a sheriff, one of them's a mayor. So basically when she goes back, they start in on her again, but they use their positions of power, you know, their their connections to do it. Wow. That is, uh, that is power. That is powerful. Like, wow. That is so, um, man, that is, sounds like, a, and, that, and this is a nonfiction or a fiction book. Yeah, this is fiction. Okay. And then your other book, um, the vow of chastity the, Baker, the vow of chastity Baker. Uh, it's about, uh, a woman that was once a prostitute she she starts out as a teenage prostitute meth junkie living on the streets of memphis and after she's arrested by uh by charles detective charles riddick and she hits rock bottom she makes herself a solemn vow that she's going to leave prostitution and drugs behind and live a better life and she makes good on that vow she takes the necessary steps to improve her life but she can't seem to outrun her past. Her past mistakes follow her in the forms of a of a sadistic and vindictive ex-pimp and drug supplier who now wants her dead, different people who know her from her darker days and critically pass judgment on her, and circumstances that arise uh, with uh, new people uh, new people finding out about her past and bullying her over it. So she has a lot of roadblocks to overcome. She has a lot of people uh, standing in the way of her progress. But she eventually, you know, achieves her goals and makes a better life for herself. That's so, she overcame adversity, which is like the, the, that just speaks my language, overcoming adversity. And then, um, and then, and by the way, to the all listeners, I'm going to be putting the links to all of um, Cherie's books in my show notes. So everybody can find those. And then your fourth book, um, Kids Under the Latch Key. What is that about? Uh, that's a, a first person narrative about uh, from someone who uh, witnesses bullying. And basically, it, uh, it's, it's, it's a, pers- a first person narrative told by a girl, uh, a woman named Grace, and she talks about how she witnesses uh, a mentally disabled man named Randy being bullied by other people in the town because of his mental disability. Anyway, the story is set back in 1987 when Grace is a 16-year-old girl. She's now a, uh, a middle-aged mother and attorney, and she, she tells this story. So it's a first person narrative and Randy is bullied so badly that he is uh, convicted, uh, I mean, arrested, not convicted, but arrested for a crime he didn't commit. And then uh, once he's out of jail, something even more tragic happens that affects Grace in such a way that she she questions God 
uh, and why the world seems so unfair. And it also prompts her to become an attorney who, who specializes in the rights of the mentally disabled. Wow. I love how your, your books are, have like sprinkles of your own, you know, story in there that that's just so beautiful. I just, and there it's all like over adversity and taking your, your power back. That is just so beautiful. Well, I appreciate so much, Sheree, you coming on my show. I'm so happy to meet you on the phone. It's just so awesome to, to hear your voice. I knew you were from Tennessee. I couldn't wait to hear your, your Tennessee accent. I was very excited <laughs> about that because I knew you would have one. I'm so happy. Um, and so I really appreciate you, you talking about your, you know, trusting the listeners with your story about your experience with being bullied and how you overcame that and how people can fight back. Um, check out Cherie White's blog. You can go to it to Cherie, which is C-H-E-R-I-E white dot blog. And it's Chateau Cherie. And it's all about exposing bullies and liberating targets to make the world a safer place for all. Thank you so much, Cherie. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, uh, Christine. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you too, finally, on the phone. Yes, yes. Texas and Tennessee does it again. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thank you. you have a good Thank you to all the listeners of How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. If you want to know more about me and hear crazy family stories, hop on over to the podcast I make with my sister. It's called The Family Burrito. My sister, Jessie, and I made the podcast after our dad died in March of 2021. We did it as a way to heal our childhood wounds. Now we are healing and now we're having a good time. So if you want to hear more stories, crazy sense of humor, and get to know my personality a little bit better, hop on over to The Family Burrito anywhere you get your podcast streaming.